Woohoo! Happy Father's Day, everybody who's a father. Today we get to begin our summer series on the life of David. And, uh-oh, do I have to do anything? All right. I know it'll bless and challenge us all, as it already has me. And over the coming weeks, we get to study specific periods in David's life. And I know it'll benefit us greatly by increasing our faith and helping us to fight temptation, to honor God, and in the present age, and to look forward to the coming of Christ. It'll help us to pray more effectively, and it'll push us to cling to the Word of God and His promises to us, so that it might be said of us, well done, good and faithful servant. And like David, that we were men and women after God's own heart, and who God was not ashamed to call His own, and who received a good report. And that's definitely what we want. And that's what I want. So I really feel the verse this morning in Hebrews that says, Time would fail me to tell of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab, who Hebrews tells us were those people of old who received their good report. Hebrews says of them, They all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, they desired a better country, that is a heavenly one. How appropriate a thought for us today. For where they hoped for things unseen, so do we. For none of us have seen Christ either. If we consider the challenges they faced, we see the kind of trials that that we face are the same kind of trials that they faced. For 1 Corinthians tells us, nothing we face, uh, I'm so sorry, uh, that nothing, nothing that we now face is anything uncommon to man. And so it is that God says to us, He left their examples for our instruction and in faith to help us fight trials and endure better the life of faith. It's comforting to me that God recognizes this life of faith takes enduring. But He also promises He provides the way out of temptation. Part of that provision is the camaraderie we enjoy, the drawing of confidence and hope and the God who preserved those who came before us. How many examples of faith has God left to us? So many that God calls them the great cloud of witnesses. Since each one of them were not disappointed, neither should we believe that we will be disappointed in our time. They had only a little information about the plan of God. But by faith and what they knew gained much, we, uh, they gained much. We have so much more information than they ever did and so many more revealed proofs of prophecy and promise that God is faithful than they ever did. Uh, so many, I'm sorry, so many more promises of our own that have yet to be fulfilled. Let us, not having so much, fail to believe, fail to even read our Bibles and learn what the promises are, fail to lay aside sin that would distract us from faith, and fail to have a real resolve and endurance to our faith but instead let us live with confidence that God has a word that God has given us his word and that God has proven his faithful word to us in the example of the great cloud of witnesses in the Old Testament since time does fail us to speak of everybody the church chose to zero in on David David earned a good report from God he was a man after God's own heart David pleased God and God saw fit to leave the history of David's example as a man of faith for our instruction it was through faith in God that David stopped the mouth of a lion, a bear, and a Goliath. It was through faith 
when God had promised to make him the king of the nation that David was also able to wait for God to bring David that promise of a throne in God's own timing. Even though the times got dark and scary and David was despised and vilified and reproached and he says hunted like a partridge on the mountain by Saul and later by his own family, though at times David wavered on the whole, David really did trust God and Abe for deliverance in the trials of his life. For he believed the promise of God who anointed him to be king. David was sure that God would carry that out. He really, really did invest his heart in that surety. So as we read about him crying out in the Psalms to save me, God, to vindicate me, God, to help me, God, it's with this heartfelt confidence that David's promise, uh, that God had promised uh, to David and, and that he really, he really believed him. All right. When we read his humble confessions, we see a man broken by the grace and the mercy of God. For after David was made a king, God promised to uphold him as a king and to give him a throne and a dynasty. So when David fails and falls outside of the law of God into sin, he doesn't fall outside of the promise of God though. David understands the sure promise of God to uphold him and to preserve him despite his wretched, wretched ways and the wickedness in his heart. As we read these emotional texts left to us by God from the mouth of David in the Psalms, we hear such thankfulness at the mercy of God and we see such joy and humility expressed towards the grace of God who preserves those people he's elected to uphold. God is instructing us on how we too might respond to our own sin. God promises eternal forgiveness in Jesus. When the elect of God understand this, we won't wallow in the guilt and the cowardness of our sin before God, but we too will humbly rejoice and give thanks to God who elects us in Jesus for such a forgiveness. It's true that this is a magnificent picture of what God has done for sinners everywhere in Jesus. His choice to elect David and his choice to elect us should stir us not to a cold and philosophical debate of Calvinism and robot people, but to an emotion of the Psalms and to a practical strengthening of our resolve and endurance. Today, though, it's my job to lead up to David and to do an overview of his life, touching on the broad applications. So we'll go through some of the Old Testament promises and see the God who plans. From this sermon, I want you to leave here trusting the plan of God, believing in the sure word of God who makes promises and has shown himself able to carry them out in the Old Testament, summing up all things in Christ. To David was given the continuation of the promise of God made to Abraham and a continuation of the promise to Adam, even Satan in the garden. From David on, the people looked to the promise made to David as hope in the coming Messiah who would be the victorious kingly descendant of David who would rule over the land promised to Abraham, crushing the enemies of God and giving peace on all sides. The Jews in Jesus' day thought that meant eradicating the Romans. But the humble servant Christ who came, they rejected because where one day Christ will fulfill those, literally, uh, those literal earthly promises made to David and Abraham, it was his first coming, the mystery that brought an even greater victory over sin and death and made Christ the one who redeemed Adam's sinful race. Back to God. So Christ could sit down not only on that earthly throne over his chosen Jewish people, but also on the heavenly throne over his chosen spiritual people. And then he'll rule them both forever, first in that millennial kingdom. This plan of God in the first coming of Jesus was veiled to the people of the Old Testament as a mystery of faith. We read in Romans 4 and Hebrews 11 how hard fought that faith really was. But we read it was for our example that they struggled. 
Today we'll take God at his word and look at their example, at the mystery of the first coming of Christ and what they did uh, really believe in the Old Testament. I'm going to pray now. Heavenly Father, these are, these are your promises. They're not mine. This is your opportunity to speak to your people and it's not mine. And you know what's happening and you know that it would tear us away from listening to your word. I pray that you open the hearts of your people despite me. I'm not the man with the golden tongue. I pray that you would please allow us to have soft hearts, to look at your Old Testament, to look at the saints that are there and that really are the great cloud of witnesses, those who succeeded in faith and won, and those who were a great cloud of failures and were rejected into apostasy and missed the Messiah and are, are not yet rejected, Lord. I, I pray that you would help us. We want to believe your promises. We have so much in Jesus Christ. We have so much that is yet to come. And yet we struggle every day. We struggle every day in our marriages and in our friendships and in our work and in our own personal doubts. And we, we, just, don't, we just don't believe sometimes. Please help us to take encouragement, to lay aside every encumbrance, and to, and to, you know, I've already said it. As we go forward here, Lord, please bless the, the study of your word. Okay, context and history. Uh, this is the part that's really fun for me. So I hope you enjoy it and are blessed by it as much as I am. Yeah. Do you? <laughs> uh, Dusty Springfield wrote uh, Son of a Preacher Man. Uh, so that's Ollie's new nickname today. Uh, I don't know how to move this forward, Connor, but yeah. And I've pushed it a couple times. If you just want to push it forward for me. All right. That's where we're at. I hope you enjoy it and are blessed by it as much as I am. It should really tra- make you trust God more. If I don't make the point come out of it, it's my fault and not God's word's fault. God says his plans are from everlasting to everlasting that they were made before the foundations of the world. It's scriptures like these that prove to us it was always God's plan to have Jesus come as the son of David, the son of Abraham, the virgin-born seed of Eve, to defeat the power of Satan, sin, spiritual death at the cross, and to offer us new life as the new Adam for those of us who believe in Jesus. Let's see how God carried these plans out, summing them all up in Jesus and pointing them all to Jesus. First we said David was the continuation of the promise of God made to Abraham and a continuation of the promise made to Adam, Eve, and Satan in the garden. So let's start with Adam and Eve and Satan and see the supremacy of Christ in them. To Adam first. It was made clear he was the representative head of the human race and that when he sinned, Uh, He died spiritually, and he did sin, and he died spiritually, and then he was able to pass that sin on to everyone who followed him uh, because he was the male seed, and that's what Romans 5.12 says. Just as sin came into uh, the world through one man uh, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. 
it's easily recognizable Paul was referring to the sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden. Then to Eve and Satan it was promised through the seed of woman, Satan would be crushed, though Satan would wound the heel of Eve's seed. From this point forward in mankind, uh, mankind had a hope of a victory over their known enemy, Satan, and somebody that was going to be born a human. This was the first good news about the coming defeat of the enemy of mankind and the first revelation in the plan of God to save mankind. That Jesus would be born a virgin, wounded at the crucifixion, and defeat Satan, and that Satan would one day be thrown into the lake of fire, that was all hidden in the plan of God. Uh, Look with me a moment at the mystery of Jesus hidden in that jam-packed sentence of promise. It pleased God here to mysteriously announce the virgin birth, the cross, and the lake of fire into which Satan had be thrown. The virgin birth first. Now we know that Jesus came to us uh, to give us the life that Adam had lost. Uh, let's see. Forget it. <laughs> All right. We know that since sin and death passed on through Adam the male, the virgin birth of Jesus allowed him not to inherit Adam's sin and to become the new Adam for us. 1 Corinthians 15 uh, tells us about that. That's why David promises that the seed of Eve and not the seed of the male Adam, where uh, all the rest of scripture and history traces the lineage of humanity through the male line. You could look at Romans 5 for that point or Isaiah 7:14 for the confirmation of that truth. Next, the cross. Though Satan did wound Jesus at the crucifixion, it enabled Jesus to defeat the power of death and sin and to make God the victor over the enemy of mankind, Satan, who first introduced sin to mankind. Jesus speaks to Nicodemus and says what we now know to be true in Corinthians as well, that we must be born again and become a new creation in Jesus, the new Adam, if we're to escape the consequences of the sin that we have in Adam. Romans 5, 15-20 tells us death reigned to everyone through Adam's sin, but the free gift of Jesus takes away our condemnation and gives us eternal life. And that's why God asks us now to put all of our belief in Jesus who died the death we would have had to by being children of Adam. And we know now that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice at the cross and raised him from the dead. And that if we ask God for it, he will give us Jesus' sacrifice as a payment for our sins and also let us have eternal life. But the only way to shed Adam's sin and share in the eternal life is to share in Jesus. And all that, including the resurrection, was hidden in that wounding of Jesus, the seed of Eve at the crucifixion. What a mystery. The lake of fire also. And though Satan is not crushed yet, Hebrews 2 promises he'll be thrown into the lake of fire forever to be ruined one day. So we look forward to that promise as not yet being fulfilled. Jesus is truly the focus of this promise in the garden. All this, though, was hidden to the people living in the Old Testament. All they knew up until the time of Abraham was that somebody who was a human would one day come and be wounded and then crush the head of Satan. Then came the Tower of Babel, and God splintered the world into many nations. And then he chose one man, Abraham, to be the father of his chosen and special nation. So next in the context in the history lesson, David is the continuation of the plan of Abraham. Abraham from many nations. God chooses one nation to be a special nation. God promises to make Abraham the father of a great nation, which we now know years later would become the nation of Israel through his children Isaac, Jacob, and Judah, and that they'd remain the Jewish nation that still exists today. God promised that the nation would have rest from its enemies, that they'd inherit a promised land that had specific boundaries, and that many nations would be blessed through Abraham. And as a note, the promised land sounded a lot like Eden, flowing with milk and honey. 
Let's go through each of these two and see the supremacy of Christ and the mystery of faith given to Abraham. First, all the nations of the world will be blessed. We now know that Jesus is the Jewish descendant or seed of Abraham through whom all the nations of the world are blessed. And not only will some people from every tribe and tongue and nation come to saving faith in Christ and so be bought back uh, and brought back with Christ to the physical land promised to Abraham during the time of the millennial reign of Christ, but the spiritual blessings given to the nation of Israel and to the Gentiles are even more lasting blessings that will continue after this world is rolled up like a scroll and we leave this earth to enter the new heavens and the new earth and the eternal state. And all these physical and spiritual blessings are extended to all the nations of the world through the, through the descendant, Jewish, seed of Abraham, Jesus. And so Jesus fulfills that part of the promise to Abraham. And here's the confirmation of that promise. Galatians 3.29. It tells us that all who trust in Jesus become Abraham's descendants and in this way are heirs of the promise. The next part of the promise is this. God promises Abraham his descendants would be innumerable. And how innumerable are the Jewish people? How much more innumerable are those who trust in Christ by faith and become Abraham's descendants? Hebrews 11.12 tells us we're as numerous as the stars in the sky in multitude and as the sands which are by the seashore. The next part of the promise. And as to the promised land, Jesus will one day sit as the descendant son of King David on the throne of King David ruling Abraham's nation in the land Abraham was promised and that the land will no longer be under the curse so you can bet it will flow with milk and honey. And during this time Satan will be bound so there will be no more enemies of God. In all of these promises to Abraham Jesus is the seed of Abraham that fulfills the promises made to Abraham. I'm in such awe of the plan of God I really am and the ability of God to carry it out. The next point is a little bit more man focused but it continues more of the history as the nation from Abraham grew, they looked for these promises and most of them were really frustrated at not seeing the blessings happen. And so they strayed from God due to their lack of patience and their lack of faith. But even in their sin and disappointment, from that point forward, Abraham's descendants had reason to look for the Messiah or the anointed one of Abraham and the seed of Eve. And to, degree, uh, to a degree, they really did show faith, but then that faith ebbed and flowed and ebbed and flowed like the tides uh, through history and God's people showed these uh, several things they showed first frustration in the captivity of Egypt and then we see a short lived hope in their deliverance from Egypt then in frustration and faithlessness and consequence they grumble in the desert wilderness and then we see another victory in the conquest of the land under Joshua and then in the book of Judges we see their, just their laziness and their half hearted attempts to complete that conquest we see them intermingling with the idolatry of the enemies of God and the land that they were supposed to completely conquer and have victory in. Then we see the book of Samuel and the people reject the leadership of God and ask for a king in Saul so that they can be like the other nations that they've intermingled with even though they were supposed to be the special nation of God. Only finally under David's rule as the ruler God makes a point to say I chose in contrast to the king the people chose for themselves. Only under David's rule does the nation first receive victory over their enemies and real peace in the land. And so the point that I'd like to make from that is it's pretty natural and easy for us to call these people idiots and morons and fools and excuse ourselves. But just like we're surrounded by that great cloud of good witnesses, we're also surrounded by a great example of failure in the Old Testament. In 1 Corinthians 10, it tells us 
With most of the Old Testament persons, God was not pleased. And the recorded history of their failure and ruin took place for our benefit as well. Verse 6 goes on to say, Now these things took place as an example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. So don't be idolaters as some of them were. And how were they idolaters? It goes on. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. And they succumbed to sexual immorality. The idea of the benefit to us of the great cloud of faithless witnesses is summed up in verses 11 to 13 then. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that isn't common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Rather than call these people fools and excuse ourselves for the same sorts of behaviors in our lives, let's see the God whose kindness is shown to us. They were tempted and tried and failed and suffered the consequences of rejection and apostasy and hardening. And we can thank God humbly for their example and humbly thank God for sparing us a similar fate. Thank God that He has made you alive in this period of grace where you can boast in the finished work of your righteous and saving Jesus, where they had to constantly offer sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins and where they were rejected for their apostasy time and again, Jesus offered once and for all himself as a sacrifice for sin. And those who trust in him really are forgiven and are brought near to God forever, sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so we have this promise in Romans 8, 38 and 39 in Christ. Nothing can snatch you out of my hand. Not Satan, not your failures, not anything in your past, and nothing you can do in the future. So moving in on history, uh, we zero in on the time just before David. The people have a clear hope in Abraham. And they're in the promised land, but they're not receiving victory. A thousand years passed since Abraham and the spirituality of Israel uh, definitely does fall to a low ebb in the tide of history. The book of Judges ends saying that the law of God was no longer heeded, for every man did what was right in his own eyes. The book of Samuel opens with a terrible failure in the priesthood, uh, standing out clearly in the character of Eli's sons. They're sleeping with women who come to pray at the tent of the gate of meeting. But despite the spiritual depravity of God's people, uh, God preserves a remnant for himself. A feeble and barren woman of an essentially unknown town named Hannah prays in faith that God who set the earth on its pillars would exalt the horn of his anointed and give strength to his king. And I think it's really worth stopping and looking at uh, because it has a great application for us and a significant meaning in the story of the book of Samuel that we'll read the whole rest of uh, the weeks. God saw fit in his word to recognize this lady's prayer at the start of Samuel and then goes on in Samuel to show how he did raise up and anoint a chosen king and a number of other things that are in her prayer. Some of those things are to keep the feet of his godly ones. David was his godly one. To silence the wicked ones. To shatter those who contend with God. For it's not by might that man prevails, but God gives strength to his king. Hannah died before David ever comes onto the scene. But it's clear as you look at the whole of Samuel that God did answer this woman's humble prayer of faith. And the echoes of her prayer resonate through the whole book of Samuel. I guess we can't really be sure what she meant by the anointed one that she wanted exalted. But I can't imagine that she really was thinking of anyone but uh, the 
anointed one in the nation uh, that was promised in Abraham and Eve. I know we can't really know that, but what we do see is Samuel raised up as a result of her prayer, who's her son, and David as a result of Samuel, and Christ as a result of David. So Hannah lived in a time that she saw all around her people living in a state of ease, of self-satisfaction, of doing what was right in their own eyes, forsaking God and pretty well living just in open enmity with God. She felt the opposite and she hoped against hope like Abraham before her and prayed for the future plan of God, the coming of the king, the anointed one of God. So here's the application in Hannah. Pray that God honor Christ in your time. The times might be dark for you and they might even get darker, but after Hannah prayed came Saul and the decline of Saul before David revived the nation spiritually. But instead of sitting back in self-satisfied ease, smug about the plan of God, and hopeless as the other citizens of the nation, feeling a spiritual need, but being non-participatory in the plan of God, and saying, poor me, as she looked at the darkness around her, she prayed. So to you, don't sit back and ignore that your nation is dying. Be a Hannah, and pray that God advance his kingdom for the glory of Jesus with your life. See if God doesn't see fit to raise up your child to be a Samuel or a David in the kingdom of God. Next we see the nation ask for a king and we see the answer of God is summed up in Hosea. I gave you a king in my anger and I took him away in my wrath. We hear God say, and the Lord said to Samuel uh, in chapter 8, 7 and 9, uh, they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now then obey their voice and give them the king that they want. And then it goes on to say the people wanted a king of their own choosing and the text reads, a king for ourselves. The book of Deuteronomy actually allows the nation to have a king under the law uh, so long as the king recognizes God as the true king and fears the Lord and doesn't stray from his commandments. So it's not really the issue of the king but the type of king that they get. Uh, will it be the king uh, who's a figure of human choice, a king for ourselves, or will it be a king of God's choosing, like God says of David after the rejection of Saul, I've provided for myself a king, a king after my own heart. Uh, the people wanted a king of their own choosing, and though the way seemed right for them, it did end in destruction. From that point forward, we see the comparison of David to Saul. Saul disobeys and doesn't respect the word of God. The spirit of God's taken away from Saul, and he declines into depression, into paranoia and madness, and he ultimately commits suicide, all the while attacking the anointed one of God. The Spirit of God is given to David, though, who's the king of God's choosing. God, David is shown as righteous and brave and innocent of treachery against Saul, and David gains the throne through God's patient timing after a period of severe testing over many years. David delivers our God delivers David from all of his enemies while David remains innocent of their deaths and so David gains Israel's willing assent and becomes king over the whole nation. David then conquers the neighboring countries providing rest for the people. He conquers Jerusalem and provides a political capital for his kingdom and then he brings the Ark of the Covenant to the capital city with a, uh, to give them a spiritual capital. As the reward for his offer to build God then a permanent dwelling which God declines for the time being, God offers instead to build David a permanent something, an incredible blessing of promise. God promises David a secure and an enduring dynasty and kingdom for his descendants. From here, David's reign takes a different turn, 
blessings turn to curse in the following chapters and David later disobeys and his decline is revealed very candidly with so many far-reaching destructive consequences for himself and for his family. However, David, unlike Saul, isn't rejected from the kingship, but God's promise of grace to give David an eternal house, eternal throne, eternal kingdom, and eternal descendant remains, and God's promise isn't done away with. And then at the very, very end of David's life, he goes on to uh, successfully pass the baton to uh, Solomon, his son. So that's the end of the history of the world up to David. But as we all know, uh, things don't end with David. God gave his special nation of Israel a continuation of the promise made to Abraham and the promise uh, made to David. And for years to come, they hoped in the new hope given to them in David. They looked for the descendant of David who would be the anointed Messiah king who would reign on the throne of David. They looked for the anointed one of old who would give them rest from their enemies on all sides and usher in the time of victory and peace in the promised land and crush the head of Satan. As a whole, though, the nation didn't recognize the Messiah, Jesus Christ, when he came, but instead crucified him. And that's because even the first coming of the Messiah, Jesus, was a mystery of faith in the plan of God. We find out that all along this was the predetermined plan of God from the foundation of the world, from Genesis 3, from Abraham, through David, the plan was Christ, the crucified, and the resurrected Savior. Then God planned a period of grace that we're in now, where the good news of Christ can extend to all nations, so all can be spiritually blessed by faith in Abraham's Jewish Messiah Christ descendant. And then God promises to us later, the tribulation will come, where the enemies of God are eradicated and Satan is subdued. And then and only then will finally the earth uh, the earthly blessings of the victorious, uh, eternal Messiah and King come about, followed by uh, Satan being thrown into the lake of fire and then eternal heavenly blessings in a new earth and a new heaven in the eternal state. These were always the sure plan of God, though, the supremacy of Christ and the summing up of all things in Him. We can always look backward and see the faithfulness and the ability of God's plan to bring Christ onto the scene. And we can trust God's promises to come true. Presently, we have salvation through Christ from God. But God's plan and promise for us in Christ isn't finished. We will yet have in the plan of God to see the millennial reign of Christ on David's throne in Abraham's promised land. We will yet see Satan, the deceiver of Adam's race, crushed and gone into the lake of fire. And we will yet have the eternal state. So some closing thoughts as we go on to study just the time period of David in the coming weeks. Here's a few facts about David. David's one of the central figures of the Old Testament. He's the ancestor of Jesus, and Jesus calls him the son of David, calls himself the son of David. David is called a man after God's own heart, and to study the heart and example of David is helpful in studying God's heart and how we too might seek it. We're equipped to study David's heart through history of his life and prayers that God saw fit to preserve for us in the scriptures. And David's life is presented to us in a realistic fashion with all of his strengths and failures. David's presented to us as a young man, as a man on the run, as a king, as an ousted king, and as a restored king. And throughout these times, David puts a priority on developing his relationship with God and trusting him. David sought out guidance from the Lord on what to do, David was open to the input and the counsel of others, but he was weak in addressing the corrective issues in his own family and his closest colleagues. 
David respected God's ordained authority, even when it meant Saul chasing him. And David was broken by his failures, accepted the forgiveness of God and the consequences of his actions. And then David finally successfully passed the baton to the next generation. Throughout the time of Saul's decline, David is raised up. He's tested. He's tried. He's given victory, help, deliverance, and assurance. He's given forgiveness when he repents and preservation by the grace and the mercy of the God who chose him. Though at times David wavered, on the whole he learned to trust God for aid and deliverance in the trials of his life. For he believed what God had already promised him was sure to happen. It was David's confident hope in God's promised word that remained and allowed him to persevere through those trials and those failures as he looked forward to the fulfilled promises of God in his life. Because of this kind of faith, David earned a good report from God. He was a man after God's own heart. He pleased God. And in the coming weeks, we get to study him and use him as a springboard for our own faith that we too might be people who please God and earn from him a good report. That's all I have to say. Uh, I'm really thankful that you guys were able to hear it. Uh, Sorry for my inability to, to preach it, but I just want to close in prayer here. Heavenly Father, we all believe that you have given us your word and we believe that in your word you say you make your plans before the foundations of the world and before the foundations of the world you chose some of us to be in Christ. And when you did that, you did it effectively. You did it effectively before Genesis even happened and you made the world. You did it effectively so much so that even when we sin and even when we fail, you effectively uphold us through Christ who you give us the faith to believe in and then who we, who we do go on to believe in when we come to our time in life. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that you make plans and that you're able to carry them out and that you make promises and at the same time you have set everything in order and planned it and it's sure to happen. You give us choice to choose to obey you, to choose to believe in you, to choose to have faith in you and to, to do it in varying degrees of success and failure all inside of your plan that you really do want to prosper us. You want us to succeed. I just pray that we would honor you with our lives, that as we go on to study David, now that we have a little history of the Old Testament up and into David, that that we'd just see, we'd see how he succeeds and we'd see how he fails and we'd compare it to what we have in Christ. We'd use him as a great witness Amen. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-hmm.